Hi, I'm Jameson Newlander, Alan Frog from The Lost Boys, and you're watching the Frog Brothers Podcast. Let me get a it's refreshment time, folks. I'm just going to go watch a movie. Do you like scary movies? I don't watch movies. I have to return some videotapes. You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. I don't need a TV. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me Shell. It's the fucking truth. Over 1,600 titles, each for rent at just $2 the first night, and only a... Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? It's a laser disc. Okay, one channels 18, 24, 6389, channel. Welcome to the Fog Brothers Podcast with your hosts Justin and Alec. Hello, and welcome to the 75th episode of the Frog Brothers Podcast. We're just gonna take Nick's name off there since he's not here tonight. Yeah, Nick is out on assignment. We had a pretty big weekend. My name's yeah. Justin. This here is my brother, my confidant, my number one guy. You, I'm a number one a guy. guy. Now we become one. <laughs> That's a good mix-up. Off, like off the rails right away. So uh, it's been a crazy quay- week. Crazy week. Crazy uh, week. Mm. So there's a whole lot of shit to cover. But there's plenty of time, so don't worry, kids. We'll get into it. Yeah. So we'll start off uh, with breaking news. The Spider-Man trailer dropped, what, an hour and a half ago? Mm Mm-hmm. So that was fucking exciting. Do you want to talk about that right now? Uh, We can do that in just a moment. Ooh, just a moment. Okay, so. Well, well, I think we're going to do that as a separate video, so. Oh. uh, So you'll have to tune back in on that. Yeah, that one's going to be on our YouTube exclusively, so... That was very, very aroused. Yeah, dropped about an hour and a half ago. An hour, an hour and a half. Uh, CinemaCon, Sony screened Ghostbusters Afterlife to a bunch of industry folks there, so... Yeah. If you're looking to avoid spoilers, you may try to avoid some of that. I'm assuming they'll be pretty good about not letting... Stuff get out, but obviously I think that's really to help drum the hype up at the movie theaters and hopefully do some badass marketing stuff in theaters. Yeah. Um, I'm not that worried about spoilers knowing that, um, but doesn't mean I'm not going to keep my eyes open. You always got to be a little cautious because, you know, I I do want to go into this movie without knowing everything. So, But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that are freaking out now about it. And a lot of people are freaking out, saying that there's not there's not going to be a fan thing now. It's like, yeah, you don't even know that. But yeah, even if there isn't, who cares? We're getting the movie this year. That's they, pretty... they made the movie for you. That's what they made for you as a fan. Yeah. The what? You, what's good? Take you in the back and suck your dick. Yeah. As uh, Mr. Brown would say, or Mr. Blue, I think actually. In Reservoir yeah. Dogs. That's that's more accurate. I think it's blue. Um. Uh, and other news. The Plasma series is being spotted in stores, the next wave. I yep. haven't seen it yet, but I also have it pre-ordered, so I'm just kind of waiting on that. I pre-ordered the whole series with the move I had recently last week. I moved in with my now fiance Liz. Uh, we got engaged last night, so mm. exciting stuff. Damn! I was what excited you just about said. it. 
is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Fuck <laughs> it. Uh, I just had to, you know. Just be an asshole. Hey, I did see those uh, Plasma Series figures in person at Planet Comic Con over the weekend. You did. There was a vendor selling them for $40 each. So, fuck that guy. Shit eating son of a bitch! That's my biggest thing with buying fucking toys at cons or shows like that. If you don't know anything or you don't really collect, and, you know, they're aiming for the casual buyer, you know, people that just buy shit on impulse. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't expect you to look up, like, the sold-for price on eBay and try to haggle with them or get a good price or be like, you do realize you're fucking high to be selling it that right. Those are brand new in stores currently. So, that was, a uh, pissed me off. But I did see most of the line. The figures look great in person, but obviously I wasn't going to pay a up charge for convenience. Right, uh, which is basically a double up charge, too. So, eat an yeah, asshole. $23 figure for 40 bucks. <sighs> All because you got oh, up and went to Target in the morning, right. probably. So, yeah. Uh, our friend Andrew Simpson has had some issues in the past with his Anovos Proton Pack. He bought the Spangler Legacy Pack, and they haven't delivered, and they started throwing major shade at him on uh, just by not, not replying true. or giving a fuck in general about their customer service. So... He uh, created a change.org petition, so we shared that on our Twitter. So if you could go sign that and help a brother out, help a sister out, help a friend out, anyone that's pre-ordered from a Novos knows that. Now, I was one of the lucky people that got an Novos Proton Pack kit after I canceled my order, and then they had them in stock randomly before a lot of people even got their pre-order shipped, which is riddle me that, Batman, but besides the point. So if you can help... Uh, go out there and uh, sign that petition so we can get some action because there's a lot of folks out there that didn't get what they paid for. Yeah. What else do we got in the news, Alec? You're a little uh, a little that, high over there. That's all I have in the news. That's this, all he has Spider-Man, I, I, what I had written down earlier was Spider-Man No Way Home leak trailer, yeah. uh, which I did watch the leaked version first, but... Uh, that's because I was like, well, there's no way I'm not going to see what these spoilers are, so I may as well see them for myself. Yeah, you may as well. Watch. And if it's a trailer, I have no problem with the trailer, right? And I was so. about to show Justin the leaked trailer. And it gets on, and it's on the main page. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. We don't even have to watch the leaked trailer. So we got to watch the full quality. I, I will just say trailer. I liked the trailer. I'm looking forward to it. I'm stoked. So I was telling Alec earlier, I was thinking with CinemaCon playing Ghostbusters Afterlife, I'm wondering if they played this trailer ahead of that, and that was one of the other reasons why that dropped mm-hmm. today, because it seemed like it was really in response to yeah, maybe the uh, trailer leak earlier. So Could they're like, be. well, fuck know. it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. What do you know? It's possible. I don't know. Pretty good. You want to move on? Um, Let's move on and do a little song. Give them. Yeah. Uh. Oh. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, Water Cooler Cult. On this week's episode of Water Cooler Cult, we find out who found Bigfoot. Uh, this is an unsolved mysteries. Turns out nobody gives a shit. Uh, so what if? This is the 
What if T'Challa became Star-Lord? Yeah. I quite enjoyed this episode. Mm. There's some fun stuff in there. What I love the most is how they didn't play it out straightforward. They changed so much of what we kind of know about how T'Challa would actually Very much like the last episode, most of this, I was like, this is amazing. And then there's a few things I could nitpick about and definitely be like, all right, well, this is clearly way cartoonier than the actual movies are. And like, can't take that as seriously, but hey. The thing for me is it feels as corny and cheesy in some of the moments as the one-off comics do because there's not a whole lot of background that goes into those, right? Yeah. So unless unless they're trying to do a whole series or some sort of spinoff of that, which... I'm fine with these just being one-off episodes. I'm, I'm liking that. Yeah. I was really happy to hear Chadwick Boseman's voice again, So, and they dedicated yeah. the episode to him. And uh, It's interesting to know that that will be his last performance as uh, T'Challa. So. Yeah. Um, it was good to hear him again. I Right off the bat, I was questioning his character a little bit just because it's like, I feel like Peter Quill was the way he was because of, where he grew up in his environment. So I felt like T'Challa should have been a little bit more... Cartoony like that, maybe? Yeah, a little bit more of an asshole, not necessarily exactly the same, like with the same values and everything, which wasn't bad. And I'm not saying, you know, it was terrible or anything, but that's one of the first noticeable things I was thinking, like, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, the only thing, this part of this episode felt rushed, especially when T'Challa was basically realizing that Oh, he was feeling betrayed by the way he was raised by the uh, Yondu. Yeah. To some degree, and kind of realizing that, you know, he didn't have the purest intentions, even though he kind of played up to... Because Yondu just kind of plays up whatever someone needs to hear, right? He's a a manipulator to some degree. But he also cares about the people, too, which they did a pretty good job showing that, right? Because, you know, we all got to see Yondu die. Yeah. So to see him back... Well, it's like at the point we are watching this show people like Yondu and Nebula. Mm-hmm. So it's like you write them as likable characters and it just works. They, yes. It's accepted already. So. Yeah, because even though they've still done some harm, they're still like villains at this point in time in the regular MCU. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Michael Rooker does his voice. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was happy uh, to hear him in there. Thanos, that was... Another thing where you're like, this is a little too cartoony because they keep making jokes about genocide. Like, how many times did I say the word fucking genocide in this episode? I can joke about genocide now because they do in fucking Disney, dude. Disney yeah. jokes about genocide? So can I. Yeah. That's... There's some fucking Disney jokes here about genocide on the Frog Brothers podcast coming at you. Yeah, to me, that was a little disturbing on there. You're like, okay, it feels a little off-putting. And then Thanos just came across as like a big cartoon character in this yeah. And not like he's drawn as a cartoon. He's just but like, just, oh, no, I totally changed my ways, dudes. I'm here to party now. Yeah. I'm going to joke about genocide, though. I might do it still. Yeah, that was a interesting a bit. And then you didn't really see a lot of the other characters in there. So it was more the Ravengers, or at least Yondu's. Yeah, no Bautista. Yeah. Which he wasn't even... He wasn't even asked. I think James Gunn had a Twitter conversation with him and said, you know, why weren't you in there? He's like, I wasn't asked. James Gunn was kind of pissed, but... Yeah, I think Batista has gone on record as saying that after Guardians 3, he's not going to play the role again. Yeah. He doesn't want to, probably because of shit like that. I don't know. 
Yeah. Because I'm sure he wasn't super expensive. You could have got him. And it was noticeable that it wasn't him. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the controversy of Disney is. That was the girl who voices Nebula, wasn't it? I couldn't tell if it was. I wasn't sure or not. You know, some of those are harder to I tell. I wasn't 100% either because it didn't have the same vocal effect, I don't think. I didn't quite go through and watch the uh, credits on this. I, like I said, it was so busy when I watched it was like a blur, but I, I enjoyed Wakanda the episode. was like supposedly destroyed, but I think that it obviously wasn't. But he says it was at one point. Yeah, they don't really get into that. There's a lot of stuff that was kind of like left out in the open. I did find it interesting that they grabbed how they explained how they grabbed him on accident. They said there's something like a signature that's out of the, that wasn't from earth. Yeah. I mean, just the throwaway line, you know, just like, thank God we invented the, uh, you know, whatever device. Yeah. Well, it makes sense in that because obviously all of the, uh, vibranium is not from earth. It's from a crashed meteor, right? Or and they do the oceans 11 style heist scene. Yeah. Yep. For sure. And, uh, you see a lot of the other characters from Infinity War around Thanos, like Proxima Midnight and Ebony Maw. Yep. Yeah, they had a good job of throwing some of those characters in there. So, And then, obviously, the Collector has a lot of interesting shit laying around. I, I didn't care for the guy who did the Collector's voice. I didn't care for the Collector at all in this. Yeah. Because it was nothing like his character in the movies. No. And, 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 and normally, that's fine because it's a different portrayal, but this is supposed to be... It's an alternate universe, an alternate. but it's still per- supposed to be MCU stuff. So Yeah, it's still supposed to be canon enough, so he just felt completely out of place. Yeah, he was like all of a sudden a warrior badass, and you're like, wait, I've never even seen this guy attempt to fight someone. Yeah, no, I did, some of the changes they made, I did like how that they recognized who Star-Lord was at the beginning, you know, instead of Peter Quill, when he's like, oh, man, you don't know who Star-Lord is? And he's like, Star-Lord, the famous outlaw. Like, I loved how they did that bit. That was a Yeah, fun it was funny up. to see that guy, because I remember what he looks like from that movie. Yeah. And, and he's, throughout this one, just, like, basically sucking T'Challa's dick. Yeah. Somebody's got to in space. Yeah. Uh, although, I will say, Peter Quill probably had a lot funner time in space with alien babes, because T'Challa is not at all concerned about alien Punani. No, he didn't seem to, yeah. Star-Lord was all about it. He was fucking drowning in that shit. Probably had all sorts of space warts on his cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's probably seen a space doctor, too. True. Fix it all up. Um, the, the, other, ast- the astronaut dog, what's that thing's name? It's from Guardians, the yeah, original comic series. I always series. forget his name. He's in Cosmo, the, I think, is his name? I think that's it, actually. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Cosmo. Howard the Duck, voiced by uh, Seth Green in there. Yep, you gotta love that. That's all the good stuff right it there. It seemed like he was doing a Rocket Raccoon impression, though. Yeah, but, I mean, he did the voice in the first Guardians when he did that, so that was actually him still. Although he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, so it's hard to pay attention that's actually him. Yeah. So It was interesting. He was in there for more than a second. Um, I did love how at the very end they show that Peter Quill is found and, you know, like how well, fucked yeah. up things got. They have the Wakandan spaceship before that, though, too. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh yeah, I already talked about how I didn't like the Collector, so that's fine. They escape yeah. in the Wakandan ship. Yeah, so Peter Quill. I, I like Dairy that. Queen still. Dancing know. to Flock of Seagulls. I've seen Flock of Seagulls live. You were there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's like 11, 12 years ago or something. Um, yeah, and then they dedicated, obviously, to Chadwick Boseman, which is uh, nice, I guess. I like how they have the big thing, and they're like, yeah, once you see that Peter Quill's picked up by Ego correctly... And he doesn't have any outside influence on it that they just imply that he becomes a fucking psychotic monster. So you're like, season two of What If? I would love to see them play that part of the story. Yeah. 
Sure. Why just because it'd be fun to see him like destroy the world. I'd be down. So yeah, that's a, that was a fun episode. It was a good mix. Um, that episode to me felt a little shorter than the first one, but I think the run times are pretty similar. But they're trying to get through <clears> some <throat> of the things. Like I said, with a short series like this, you're just you're going to deal with some pacing issues. Yeah, it's just like a short episode of a series. I mean, yeah, it's fine. Um, Trim the fat, get to the point. Alrighty then. I guess we'll move on to uh, this week's. What do you mean you haven't seen this film supreme made up of a dream team? This movie's pretty great. You're fucking late. Let's accelerate and get it on your plate. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. And you don't want us, us exposing ourselves. Exposing ourselves. I was watching back on one of these videos. Yeah. On um, the TV earlier, just like, you know, doing some quality control, seeing what it looks like. Yeah. Seeing how the lighting looks, things like that. And um, I realized there was one point where I was just literally like sitting there talking like this for a minute. Your eyes closed because you're so high. I looked so fucking baked. It was insane. Uh, There's been some moments on this show where you are so high, like I don't even know if you know your own name. (laughs) So I I appreciate that about you, though. Mm -hmm. Whatever helps you with your anxiety. And existential dread. I have those two. It helps me with everything negative in life. Except having less money. It doesn't help me with that. No. <laughs> you gotta pay for your medicine. Mm-hmm. It's time to pay the piper. Well, so t- yeah, we're talking 1977's Eraserhead. David Lynch's uh, debut. 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 I like how you said debut. Sounds like some shit I would say. Yeah. You dumb bastard. At least I corrected myself before you did. Yeah, I usually just try to roll with it, you know? You just roll right over it, and it's half the time, especially if it's someone's name, that's when it's really funny. You just got to get past it, man. Just power through. So uh, Alec had me watch David Lynch's feature film, Eraserhead. That's a fucked up movie. This movie gave me some weird fucking dreams. This movie... I almost cried during this movie earlier. I'm just an emotional human being, apparently. Because movies, all sorts of movies f- fucking make me cry these days. Once you accept that you are an emotional being, it becomes a lot easier. Because you spend a lot of time as a person with depression or anxiety, like just bottling everything up and being like, you can't tell if I'm happy, sad, dead, or alive. I mm-hmm. just look like I'm in a coma. Yeah. So when you accept those things, it makes life a little bit, a little bit easier. Uh, this had one of those crazy productions. Um, yes. he had like a 21 page script sold it as that and they thought that's what it was going to be then he expanded it to a full movie and then it took several years to complete and everything um, Jack Nance plays Henry Spencer you may know him uh, from Twin Peaks as Pete Martell but uh, you know it's funny I always as a kid th- this movie I never really could tell the difference. It's one of those ones that looks, the cover looked exactly like uh, the cover for Barton Fink. I should have brought that in here, but have you seen that? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a Coen Brothers movie, and it's about filmmaking, and it's really fucking good, actually. It has John Goodman in it, too. We should watch it sometime. Cover it for the podcast. The thing I love about this cover, though, in particular, it looks like that high contrast. It looks straight out of the Universal Monsters universe. Oh, yeah. And a lot of this movie feels straight out of the twilight zone without ever trying to explain anything there's no fucking 
you don't have any narrator telling you anything. So it's all just as David Lynch loves it to be. It's you see it, you digest it, you take away whatever you want to take away from it. And that's all David Lynch wants you to do. He doesn't want to explain anything to you because if he, it takes the fun of away from him. Yeah, famously, he has a couple different quotes about about that and this film in general. Um, one of the most popular memes of David Lynch on the internet uh, goes around from an interview where somebody's talking about it. And uh, he, he says, you know, believe it or not, Eraserhead is my most spiritual film. And uh, the guy interviewing him says... Uh, uh, elaborate on that. And he goes, uh, no. But I get the spiritual vibes out of that for sure compared to some of his other stuff. Yeah. Especially with... Um, okay, so obviously we're getting into spoilers. So if you haven't seen this, go watch it and then come back. <laughs> it's on uh, HBO Max for those of you who don't own the DVD. Yeah, easy to watch right now. So check it out. Um you get this dystopian future that shows up. It almost has like that Orwellian 1984, the wanton seed, those types of vibes in there. Like, well, you want to talk about this opening shot about with fucking his sideways head and you can see half of his face. Yeah. And then sort of a planet that almost looks like the, uh, mystery science theater 3000 planet, you know, like those type of old. Yes. This, this movie is like a very reliant on 1930s, vibes in general and and the dystopian thing it feels like a night it's it's heavily 1930s and yes. 20s and so for a movie that was shot in the mid 70s comes out in 77 it really has a lot of throwback vibes to it if we didn't tell you it was 1977 you'd probably have no fucking idea when it was um they call the guy that's looks like he has a bunch of weird shit on him that he's pulling all those levers, levers and shit yeah. by the window he's uh called the man in the planet yeah, and the and the credits, correct? Yeah, so he's basically pulling levers and making some weird shit happen in some sort of dream dimension or however you want to interpret that. Yeah, and so it, then you see that fucking thing come out of his fucking mouth. Mm-hmm. Which I can't explain this to you right now, but watching this this time, I was like, oh my god, this feels there's so much of this that is exactly out of right out of fucking Twin Peaks. The return, like it's crazy how connected it feels now. Um, Just catching those things, yeah, like that. All of that beginning opening scene and all those kind of weird shots that they do. Then that, all of the stuff in the theater, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound in this movie, the, the sound, sound design, design is fucking nuts. It's amazing for a black and white film. The sound design is one of the things about this movie that shines the entire movie, almost the entire time. There's nothing I would change in this because it's like on point. Yeah, the sound designer did all sorts of weird shit with David Lynch, and he always does. Like the newest, the Twin Peaks: The Return. I read so much about the sound design of that show, like when it was about to come out and stuff, because there was articles about it and about how David Lynch would go into the studio with this guy and. Because half of it's not about the score. There's not necessarily a score for most of this. There's there's parts by, um, what's his name, Fats Weller. There's little musical cues and stuff, but a lot of it's mostly like ambient tones and like steam sounds and white noises. Yes. Different uh, noise generators. There's also just like weird shit where I read they put microphones in plastic bottles and like would 
blow into it while slowly pulling the mic out and all sorts of weird shit to create some of these sounds. And it sounds very, very atmospheric, right? So you get so yeah. many different like tones. So it's it's just unsettling because of that, especially because of some of the environments you see in the film, which are very, you know, if you've seen a lot of black and white, you can kind of tell like when it's a happy like outdoor like feel good scene, and obviously in this, it's a lot of indoor very dirty very unsafe unpleasant outside and inside it just feels like dark damp and depressing yeah I spe- well it depends on the black and white movie too if it's black and white just because that's what was available or if it's black and white because that's just when it was made sure uh this is obviously an artistic choice yes but it's interesting and it's, it's- visually fucking so stunning the way like he shoots like dust and stuff yeah and, and it's the- all like this real practical shit that like and the eraser shavings. I'm pretty sure they actually used real eraser shavings for all those scenes yes. at the end. So, And there's so many things. Like, in, you wonder why it's called a eraser head, and it strictly comes from they extract a piece of this person's, what you're assuming is his brain, later on, much later on in the film. And there's a pencil machine that's stamping on the erasers. And, like, they cut this piece down, and they do a test of it, and quality control pass it, and it's... One of those things, you're just like, did the inspiration for this movie come from that? Like David Lynch seeing pencils being made, and then like... It was a lot of... Where is that born from? Because when I watched that and saw that scene, I could see a lot of inspiration for the rest of the movie around that whole concept. It's a lot more about parenthood, I think. Yeah. And... um, What would you call it? Domestication? And that kind yeah. of stuff. Other people think the movie's about abortion, anti or for it or whatever else too. I didn't get any of those vibes at all. I definitely got the uh, domestic one. Like I can see it being domestic. Yeah, about no, I domestic mean... life and stuff, and like fear of that because David Lynch did say he <clears throat> he had a daughter that had clubbed feet when she was born. She had to have a bunch of corrective surgery, so it's a, like a little bit of dealing with that. You can say because it's a deformed sure. child. Yeah. But then you take that to an extreme artistic surrealist fucking depiction that's like it's nuts. Uh Stanley Ruins. Kubrick made the Shining crew watch this cuz he was like this is what we're fucking doing. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And the the baby and it looks like a creature. So I mean that is so unsettling and it looks so authentic and great. How how a low budget movie like that too and it's like it's one of the best looking effects you'll ever see, and there's a lot of controversy and a lot of hush hush around what the fuck actually was. I've that read was made so from. many different things that it's supposed to be. The most popular responses um, people seem to think are either a like rabbit that's been skinned, um, a goat or cow fetus, and then they turn it into a fucking puppet because that thing's eyes move. Yeah, the eyes move, the tongue moves, which you could easily you know, make a puppet out of, like, that would do that. But the eyes look, like, fucking good. It's it's disturbing. And it reflects light in such a natural way, right? You know, we were talking about this briefly off the show that lots of times with creature effects and special effects like that, they don't look right because you can't, there's, like, that translucentness to a skin of a living creature, right, that you can see. So even if they're furry, like, there's still those areas and things that give cues away to tell you that they're real. And the creepy thing about this movie is, like, this thing looks like it's real. It looks like it's really reflecting light, and there's, like, some levelness to it that really is authentic and um, disturbing and unsettling in so many ways. So it kind of opens up after 
all that weird shit happens at the beginning. He's uh, walking across just like this bleak landscape, basically. And it looks like, I don't know, it looks like um, old, like, pictures of, like, uh, Manchester, England and shit to me. Like, it's weird and, like... It's weird like that, but old, I also... like, Philadelphia kind of, like, vibes. But the dirtiness and the gringiness of it, or the griminess of it, gringiness, what the fuck am I making up words here? Um, that felt like very Dust Bowl era stuff, mm. so... Thought that was pretty interesting. Justin's tired tonight. I'm very tired. Very You're stoned tired. out of your mind, man. Just That's me. you. <laughs> Just me. Um, um, well, let's see here. Uh, what else did you write, boy? Just some different things to consider about 1977 and this being a movie that came out. Um, the, the black humor that's throughout this movie. The gore. The, the surrealism in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also wrote the eroticism and how eccentric it is as well. It is so fucking fascinating. Uh, There's so, some real creepy and un- unsettling things in this. We can kind of... So where do you want to start with those? I'm just going to go... Go down your... In, in, I pretty much took notes of the whole plot, but I'm going to, you know... Okay, s- we can pause and discuss. That's what we'll do. Uh, basically, the woman across the hall tells him that Mary called him and invited him to dinner with her parents. So he's like, all right, cool, thanks. And all of these scenes are done very, like, slow. Yeah, they're they're Lots very, of long pauses. Very calculated, very slow moving. Before you get to that, though, what I really enjoyed about that was, like, when he gets into the lobby and checks his mail slot, and then he gets into the elevator. Which, by the way, the lobby, we should point out, has the chevron pattern floor. Like yes. You'll know from Twin Peaks, if you know that. Yeah, there's definitely things in there that make it feel like you're also <clears throat> in an alternate world. So. Yes, an alternate reality, if you will. That's what it, like, if you were to try to connect this to Twin Peaks, you could easily do it and be like, yeah, he was in uh, some sort of interdimensional waiting room. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then at the end, he's finally not in the waiting room anymore when he's embraced by the uh, lady in the radiator. But we'll get there. Which is pretty wild, too. But I love the elevator doors closing because I don't think that was like a real elevator. That's just a set. But the doors didn't close tightly, and you could still see the elevator moving in the background for me. So, like, that was a really nice element on there because you're not necessarily going to see that or, or yeah. pay to have a shot like that. But to actually have the detail of the movement and the light peeking through and getting dark as the elevator lifts i, I really enjoyed yeah there's lots of, of like steam and industrial and stuff in this and it's very interesting that way too like just the steam in both sound and visual elements and like you just kind of feel like this movie is a bunch of wet dripping pipes like it's very interesting um so he gets to mary's house and he's having meets her mom and shit and uh yeah that's the weirdest fucking family meeting ever yeah except for maybe one from the texas chainsaw the father is a very interesting character as well oh yeah he fucking like at one point just pauses and is like totally whacked out of his mind he says he has he's had the same job for a very long time because he asks what you know what he does for a living, he's like, well, I used to work um, for the printing press. Yeah. So. I almost got Ghostbusters 2 vibes, too, because uh, 
as soon as he started talking shit about, um, I don't even remember what he was talking about. He was talking shit about something angry, and it was like the noise, just the general ambience and the loud noises started getting louder with him. Oh, yeah. It was like uh, I expected uh, pink slime to burst. Yes. Uh, and then the, the little chicken scene. I mean, they look like... Well, I like the... the right before the chicken scene, there's the, the fucking grandma in the kitchen. She goes in there and like makes her stir the pot and then like lights a cigarette for her. And then you can see that that's the only thing she's actually doing. She's like just sitting there like this, and then actually you can see her puffing on the cigarette, though. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't see the cigarette smoke going, you'd just assume she's dead. <laughs> uh, that was pretty creepy. And then he explains the hands, and they look like Cornish hens, so they're very small, but he's just like, they're very... He has a whole moment explaining the... So just weird for the sake of fucking weird, man. Yeah. And um, it reminds me of, like, It... Because the the Chinese food scene in both It movies where there's like the food is bleeding and shit in weird Mm -hmm. ways. Yeah, he goes to cut the food. He's like, hey, would you do the honor of cutting this? And he cuts it and then there's like this weird, it almost looks like toxic sludge or oil coming out of it. I think it's supposed to be just blood, yeah. Yeah. But it's like a thick, nasty blood, you know, it's so like, it's gross. Yeah, it's gnarly as fuck. And then the things are wiggling around too. Yeah. And then um, he just smiles and Mary fucking cries. And then, like, runs out of the kitchen and shit, and he just smiles at him still and just kind of chills and stews in the weird. Yes. That's and, a um, pretty wild moment. The electricity cause... sounds and flickering. Mm-hmm. Again, like, when we watch Twin Peaks, you're going to be like, oh, man, this reminds me of fucking Eraserhead. The the return, that is. Um, did you and Mary have sexual intercourse? Yeah, and he doesn't want to answer, and then she gets on him and like is kissing on his ear. Yeah, she which kisses is really him and like licks him and shit. Weird. Yeah, it's this weird, like second of thing, and then her mom, her she comes up and is like, "Mom, stop." Yeah, and you're like, "What the fuck am I watching?" And then she explains that, "Oh yeah, well she had a baby because you fucked her, and it's at the hospital, but you have to get married, and then you can take it home, and you can take her with you." And he's like, "Holy shit." Yeah, that's kind of like the one I was talking about, some of the Dust Bowl vibes that seems like very something that would have happened in the Great Depression. Mm. Like this whole level of, it's your responsibility now, we don't care how bad things are, this is your problem. So, yeah, it was like real fucking dark and depressing. Then the dog whines. Oh, because the the dog is nursing a bunch of puppies in the house. And and they show a big scene of that, and then the dog gets upset later. Yeah. After the dog whines, they zoom shot through... And then, like, go outside. And then it's kind of does some weird transitional shit. Uh, Mary feeds the new baby. They're clearly at his place now. She's moved in with him. And it's, they've got a very specific setup for this baby that they've got in there. And then, like, it's obviously revealed to be very disturbing. And the baby's not wanting to eat and, like, getting really pissed off and upset as she tries to feed it. Um, yeah, we already talked about how it's, what it's made of and stuff. We already kind of run on about that, so I won't... We can go on about more later as things develop with it, but, yeah, it's very fucking disturbing looking like it looks like a real fucking animal fetus, so... Um, he goes to bed or whatever, and he keeps staring at the fucking radiator. The f- focal point is a radiator, is the radiator a lot. Yeah. Because at one point it zooms in to the radiator, and then it shows, like, this old, like, 1930s fucking stage. Yes. And that's pretty cool. Also, again, Twin Peaks The Return. 
That had, you know, one of those little music box vibes to it when that, that's the way that stage was presented and looked. Mm-hmm. And that character, too, to some degree, like her costuming and things like that. Yeah. She looked... Dis- How would you describe her look? Well... Do we see her at this we point? We don't see time? her at this okay. point, no. You just see him obsessed, but you see him <clears throat> laying on the bed, so you don't really understand why he's laying on the bed so fixated on that when there's, like, his wife and child are in the room. Yeah. Um, she leaves him because she's sick of the fucking baby crying. She's like, I'm fucking over it. I'm out of here. Yeah, packs her shit and leaves, and he doesn't even seem to care. And yeah, he's just, like, kind of going along with existing here throughout this whole thing. Um, he's taking the baby's temperature at one point, which I couldn't tell what he was doing until after it showed the temperature, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then he turns around, and all of a sudden, the thing has a whole bunch of fucking sores all over it. Yeah, and, and those this is were... where I was getting sad, because I was like, man, this is fucking depressing as hell. Like, yeah. this is a poor fucking creature. But it's also maybe a satanic spawn from another dimension. You never know what it is. Yeah, you just don't know what it is, right? <laughs> like, where does that come from? Like, is this thing evil? Is he trying to care for it? You just don't really know, because... But when he cries, when he tries to leave, is when I'm like, oh, God, this is depressing. Yep. The other interesting bit on that is he puts a humidifier out for it because clearly it's having a hard time breathing. So yes. it implies that the air is very dry, even though some of the ambiance doesn't feel dry. Yeah. But um, the sound design on that is great, though, too, because once that thing's going, it almost sounds like a tea kettle or something um, exactly. with some boiling water. And so that's really where that works because it's unsettling, but it just... They go. It makes you feel how uncomfortable they want that you to know that that baby is. He stares again in bed, staring at the radiator. Basically, we go back inside the radiator again and see the theater, and the lady in the radiator, sort of. I wouldn't call it dancing, but sort of walking back and forth, sidestepping. Mm-hmm. Almost looks like dancing. And then these creatures, the same one that came out of his mouth, the same one that looks relatively like his baby. Uh, little ones start falling out from the sky, or not the sky, wherever, the ceiling in there. And then she starts stepping on them, and they start exploding and squishing all over. Yes. And uh, their blood looks like fucking neon. Like mm-hmm. it's probably used like white paint or something, you know? Yeah, because it's very reflective. And, and uh, yeah, that's crazy looking. And she looks so unsettling, because she's made to look up beautiful as far as her overall appearance until you get to her cheeks. Well, her whole face, they've put, like, this weird thing on it. Like, it's, like, the texture of it. You know, it looks almost like paper mache or something weird. Yeah, paper mache. And her cheeks, like you said, are fucking massive. Yeah, the cheeks are massive, and they they feel like dry plaster or something like that. So it looks really uncomfortable. And there's, like, no, it's very dull-looking. So it looks really... I do like the uh, unpotted tree he has on his fucking nightstand. Yes. (laughs) Very also Twin Beaks ridiculous um oh and then he wakes up one night and she's back in bed with him i guess and he starts pulling more worms out from what looks like her vagina yeah and is like throwing them at the wall and fucking killing them yeah uh that's horrific um he bangs the woman from across the hall but was that before or after the weird claymation scene of the little... I think that happens right after. Okay. 
a little claymation scene of a little worm crawling around and shit. And then like, he, there's this wooden cabinet, and it's very David Lynch. Obviously, even early on, you get these weird peculiarities he does with the way he frames scenes and things. And they open these doors, and he puts this little worm in there, and then closes it up very tightly. And uh, it's very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to do a cut of this, and with um. You know, Spider-Man 2 reminds me a lot of this movie because of the shitty apartment that Peter Parker lives in oh, yeah. and how his neighbor across the hall is that woman and she comes over and has pie and cake with him, like how David Lynchian that is. Yeah. could make that black and white. For sure. And like add some eraser head sound effects to it. I think it'd be pretty cool. Um, the creepiest part though, so like he, he gets with his neighbor and... They're obviously going at it. So they try to make it look kind of like a romantic scene. It's it's not just gratuitous by any means. And then you start seeing the baby like crying and like ha- getting upset while all this is going on. And it's intended to be unsettling and it is unsettling. Yeah. It really gets the point across. I liked it. Did you finish? Mm-hmm. Good. Three or four times. I was hoping you would First two were hands-free. <laughs> hands-free E-Jack, baby. Go, Web, go! That's what I always say when I come. Um, oh, yeah, so then he's back in the radiator. He's back in the painting! <laughs> he's back in the radiator! Um, and she's singing the uh, song, In Heaven... Everything is fine in heaven. Uh, so, yeah, she sings that song, basically, which always gives me the vibe where she's like, you should kill yourself. Oh, yeah. You should fucking die. It's cool. That's what uh, that scene says to me. That's a really... fucked up because you're just like watching at that point you're just waiting for them to like to do something drastic which obviously doesn't happen yes it does because then he gets his fucking head severed oh fuck yeah <laughs> it's fucking weird as shit oh yeah because the uh and then it falls down his, and a kid his, picks his, it up his head's not even severed it fucking shoots off like a bottle rocket and then, like, one of the little baby-looking heads pops out of it for a second, but when they pan back over to it again later, that head is gone. Like, it's just the stump. Uh, it's amazing. Like the guy from Fallout Boy. Just the stump. Well, the kid found his head and was like, cool, I'm going to take this over to some other people who are like, pretty cool that you found this head, kid. And that's not the, exactly the quote they say, but... Uh, no. And there's that whole sequence, which is another... And then I think that's like another dream sequence, basically, because then he's awake again with the baby. Yes. And then he's with the baby, right? And they're like, how do you get weirder than this? Well, we'll tell you. He he decides to cut the bandages off the baby. And this is also, I'm just horrified at this point. This is so depressing to watch because it is like, it, it's, it's like it's a baby or whatever. You know, you're thinking of it like it's a baby. Mm-hmm. Of just a deformed ass baby. And then he cuts it open, and what happens? The organs just kind of flat out lay around. He cuts it open, and like, yeah, it it, basically its head stops having skin at some point, and all of its organs are just held together in like and all the the sack. 
And one thing that I think it's easy to overlook is, is it looks like where the bandage is like fused with the skin to some degree because like there's some soft tissue on the backside of those bandages as it opens up. But when I was watching this, I was thinking like this is the most disturbing take of the Christmas vacation turkey cutting scene I've ever seen because it's the way it's like split open <laughs> and really gross and like upsetting to see. It's a little dry, that's all. Yeah, and then he gets upset with it and just starts cutting it up and like blood goes everywhere. And... Yeah, that's so fucked up too. Because he stabs it and it just starts murdering it and cutting it up basically. Mm-hmm. And then it fucking like grows uh, into the planet basically is what it looks like happens. Yes. The planet from the beginning of the movie where the man lives inside that pulled the lever. There's and a man who pulls a lever in the head and the planet on the bottom of the sea. Is that when we see him struggling to control everything in the planet? Basically. And we, then the we, planet breaks. Yeah. And then you fucking see inside it. And it goes back to that puddle-looking scene there very briefly, too, that you saw at the beginning of this, this puddle that, you know, they eventually crawl out of towards the beginning. And so. then you have the the cover art, basically. That's just a screen grab from the movie where he's walking forward and you see all that fucking... Eraser dust floating yeah. behind him, yeah. And he walks into the woman in the radiator's arms. And then the static and everything gets pretty loud. And then uh, it cuts out. Goes to black screen for a couple of seconds, implying that there might be more. And then they just do a delay again before they roll credits. Mm-hmm. There's so much stuff you could take out of that. Obviously, it's not a traditional story arc. A child. <laughs> a child. Now we become one. Now we become one. Uh, I had a good time with this one. And I, like, I really just can't wait to cover the next uh, Twin Peaks stuff because it's it's like that a lot. It's With David Lynch, like see, having seen enough of his stuff now, like I didn't try to take anything more out of it. I didn't try to like look at all the stuff, but when you discuss it and you think about it, there's a lot of... You also have to... Yeah, it's, it's surrealistic, mm-hmm. and it's almost a little bit abstract at times. Yeah, and so you could see that even if it, there's no straight... Artsy-fartsy. Yeah, but there's no straight, like, here's the moral of the story in this film, right? I mean, to me, it plays out like someone that's possibly dealt with a abortion, probably possibly had a miscarriage, possibly had other things like that, other loss, like a post-birth loss. There's all these things that could come into play and have symbolism in there, but it really just shows, like, the darker side of reproduction, hmm. if you ask me. But I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. They definitely weren't in 1977. Well, the filmmaking community actually went crazy for it. Like I said, like Kubrick and oh, people yeah. like that. It was kind of a midnight movie for a long time, like Rocky Horror was. Like It had a cult following, but back then, before the internet, cult followings were way more of cult followings. Yeah, people would literally... You'd like, if you met and... somebody else who met a Razorhead, you were like, all right, I need your phone number, I need your home address, we need yeah. to hang out. You'd have a fan club. Now you meet someone who likes a racerhead, and you're just like, I bet you like the Smiths, too, and you smoke Newports, don't you? (laughs) You Fucking skeet towel. Uh, That's too funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that's that's a racerhead. I definitely think if you uh, have seen other... If, like, a lot of people have seen Twin Peaks, and then they go and they try to watch other David Lynch movies, and that's what I've done. And I quite enjoy his work, so... Uh, I recommend this one if you uh, 
listened to this and you haven't seen the movie, that's kind of weird. But also, I do that sometimes, too, because it helps me determine if I want to watch the movie. Yeah, see what I'm missing, right? Is there some, some interesting stuff there? You're like, ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah, like I listened to uh, Hack the Movies cover uh, Collateral Damage, and at no point after their review did I feel like I had to watch the movie. I was like, wow, that was good enough. Yeah, got to the point. <laughs> now, this is a classic, and then you just see so much of this and other Lynch work just pop up here and there, and then mm-hmm. there's like that whole thing of like, is this motherfucker going all Stephen King... Like monster, universal monsters, and like, is this all a shared universe or things all at some point in time, one way or another, connected in his stuff? Doesn't matter if they are not, because the way he tells stories, you can do that. And if that's the, what your head tells you, that's what Lynch wants you to believe. Yeah, pretty much. He's not going to answer your questions. He so. says, uh, a lot of people always ask him, why didn't do, you know, DVD commentaries or ex- try to explain his films? And he says, because the movie is the explaining, the movie is the talking. Mm-hmm. And he famously says, keep your eye on the donut, not the hole. What more is there to say? Exactly. That sums it up. <laughs> so we don't have anything too crazy this week. Yeah, we didn't do a top five or uh, yeah, so any creative segment this week. It's been a hell of a fucking week. Well, for me, it's been just a typical week, but it's been a hell of a week for you. Well, you did help me move last Wednesday, and then I haven't really had any time to exist beyond that yeah because we had planet comic-con this weekend which is awesome but that was a good times met some of the stranger kids stranger things kids the stranger kids <laughs> that was fucking stupid <laughs> am i tired kids yeah, i don't know yeah, it's taking me forever smoke yeah. weed every day uh anyway we now return to the real Ghostbusters. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Bill Murray's the funniest man on the planet. Episode by episode. We're talking some Twin Peaks here. More David Lynch. If you don't like David Lynch, you could suck my cock. What if David Lynch? Is that a little too like aggressive him? or something? <laughs> no, I was gonna say, what if David Lynch doesn't like himself? Does that mean he can? I need to get like a screeching brakes sound every time the podcast comes to a halt, or a record scratch. That'd be funny. Yeah, I think drops that there all the time. Try like nails on a chalkboard. Fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck yeah. it. We'll do it live. Uh, this is season two, episode 16. It aired February 16th, 1991. It's about, uh, 17 or 18 days after my birthday. Mm-hmm. Where I was born, I actually. It's not, it's not his arrival to this existence. This fucking bullshit that I should sue my parents over. That's actually happened. Yes, it, and it might happen again. <laughs> Sons of bitches. I didn't agree to come into existence. No, nope, certainly didn't. Uh, I didn't agree to have to get a job. Yet, look what you've done. Mm-hmm. Look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> um, this one opens up with Wyndham Earl talking on a tape. Harry Micro and cassette. Cooper listen. I love it. Harry and Cooper uh, listen to that. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I wasn't paying too much attention to what he said. I was like, I'm over it. I just don't like Wyndham Earl too much. Yeah, he's not very uh, fascinating. They didn't really play he anything. He gets better towards the end, but like... They didn't play anything super important off that tape, so... He's running the long con at this point, and it's, yeah. it gets it gets old. 
Um, Pete made Andrew a smiley breakfast with mm-hmm. the eggs and bacon and shit. Yeah, it was like if you've ever been to IHOP and you've had him do one of those like clown-looking breakfasts for kids, that's basically what he did. It reminds me of Goofy Movie. Yes. It's ridiculous, but it's uh, fun. Yeah, no, it's funny because it seems like they are fucking each other because they're so into each other. There's lots of bromances in here where you're like, you know, they could just be healthy, normal male relationships, which is just fine. Mm-hmm. But also, I think they're uh, having sword fights. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the old double dutch rudder. You don't got to no, touch to like, have some fun. They like to frot about. Yeah. If you know what frotting is. Should I explain frotting on the podcast? The floor is yours. Frotting, um, for those of you in the uh, straight community, is uh, when you take your penis with uh, another person's penis and somebody grabs them and rubs them and you like rock them back and forth and weird shit like that. I don't know. Like grip them together and sort of weird shit like that. I don't know. I, uh, it's a thing though. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? I mean, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. The more you know, kids. Mother's milk. Meak. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, Josie faints when she sees Andrew. Uh-huh. Yeah, this one... He taunts her ass, too. This episode goes in and out of being interesting literally the entire time. He's like, fuck your headphones, bitch. You don't need to hear things. Um, Yeah, we'll just run through some of this stuff. Well, run through the stuff. Hank gets shit from uh, Hawk and Harry. And that's funny because uh, he's like, listen, fucking Hank, I know... I can put you at the fucking scene of the crime, you son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Hank starts being a real prick, even about, and he brings up Josie and shit, and he's like, listen, well, if I was fucking a murderer, basically, is what he said, I'd be an asshole too. And then Hawk kicks out his crutch from him, and he falls to the ground and shit. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, Hawk rules. He's a badass. Albert tells Coop, basically, you need to do something about Josie. This is fucking ridiculous. Just because, uh, you know, the sheriff's fucking her doesn't mean she's not a murderer. Yep. Billy Zane shows up. Yeah. And he's like, hello, I'm Billy Zane, and I'm here to ruin all of the women in here's lives. Audrey kindly, snarkily refers to him as Mr. Rockefeller, even though he's actually one wheeler. And he's like, I have a photo of you. I have a photo of you as a child. It's very creepy. I have very, a child! Very, very <laughs> creepy. That's him, too. Yeah. I don't, I don't. You don't like his character from it. It's, no, what's funny is um, Eckhart is also a character that's in Titanic, who is Billy Zane's like right hand man in that movie. <laughs> what's even funnier about that, the fact that there's two characters in this episode from the movie Titanic, is there's a line in this movie or uh, in this episode that is Lifted. directly from this episode in Titanic, and this is obviously older, yes. but it's the line. Uh, that Norma says to Hank in the prison, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Which is literally what uh, Rose says to Billy Zane mm-hmm. in Titanic. Full like circle. And yeah. by circle, I mean circle jerk. James Cameron, you're a thief. No, I don't know that. I'm just fucking My up. theory was that Billy Zane was like, hey, I got a really good line here. Got an idea. Yeah. 
James Cameron's not sophisticated enough I to think, watch Twin Peaks. I think James Cameron was definitely watching Twin Peaks. James Cameron used to be sophisticated. He made fucking Terminator 2, man. That's a pretty good movie. I mean, it's an action movie, but like as far as sophisticated action movies go, it's pretty it's pretty all right. Yeah. And then And then he's, you know, done shit lately, but fuck him. But fuck him, literally. But fuck him. No. I wouldn't even want to do that. I would just so I could be like, "You know what I did? I butt fucked James Cameron." <laughs> I, <laughs> I told him as soon as I blew my load inside his butthole, I said, fuck Avatar, that movie sucks dick, and now you're going to suck your whole shit off my dick. Welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast. Well, I was going to say, um, I wouldn't even hate fuck him, but <laughs> you're talking about... Um, well, this is all consensual, but yes, it's a hate fuck. Yes, okay. It's a, it's a theoretical, consensual situation. Okay. As long as you guys have agreed to that and sign on the dotted lowercase j's, you're fine. Um... So Audrey gets a thing that says like the Gathering of Angels nine thirty at the Roadhouse, which we'll get back to it later. Yeah. Uh, Catherine gives Josie a gun for Thomas meeting, because she's supposed to be meeting Thomas alone, but she kind of gives her a gun so she'll feel safe or whatever. Which is like Catherine's so mysterious and you never know what her fucking true motives are. She's such an evil fucking conniving bitch that manipulates and gets whatever she wants, yeah, however she wants. And I don't even know what her goal is. Like I don't even think it matters. It's so weird. It's just um, fucking hilarious, though, because Pete's, like, so fucking dumb diddly dumb around her and doesn't have a care in the world. Yeah, he doesn't even give a fuck that she's out doing what she's doing. No, he's like, He well, knows that she was fucking Ben and stuff. He knows they're in love again still. He's like, well, she's my buttercup. Pete is, uh... Pete's a saint, let's just say. Uh, I love that guy. You may have recognized him from the movie Eraserhead. Uh, yes, that's true. Ben's tracksuit... Black, pink, and purple. Man, I need Fuck, that shit. That Fila tracksuit looks so fucking He's fire. He's fucking rocking that shit. And that's like, hey, you know, he used to be the businessman. Now he comes in here, and he's an environmentalist, and he wants to save the pine weasels. Fuck yeah, he does. Like, this is the whole 180. Flip the script. Change your attitude. We can't do the ghost real estate or whatever the fuck they call it. Ghost wood estates. Yeah. Ghost wood estates because... The pine weasels are endangered, and we got to save them. And so someone's like, we're going to save the pine weasels? He's like, no, that's not all we'll save. We'll save all the land around the Ghostwood Estates. So this is the first time you're going, what the fuck? Because, you know, the last episode, they're basically like, hey, he's unfucked now. Unfucked? Unfucked. Yeah. Um, microwave a brain, and uh, I think this is what happens. Don't try that at home, kids. Yeah, the fucking uh, James and Donna shit, I'm over it. I'm just yeah. uh, I'm over their characters at this point. No one gives a shit about their little lovey-dovey bullshit in the park as they lay down on a classic red and white checkered picnic blanket with a picnic basket. Yeah, uh, yeah fuck them. Harry shows up to, uh, <laughs> to uh, Catherine and Pete's and is like looking for Josie. And then Pete's like, oh, she went to the Great Northern. She said she was going to meet a friend. <laughs> and uh, Donna, Audrey, and Shelly all meet up at the roadhouse basically accidentally because they each got a piece of that letter that said Guardian, meeting of the Guardian, the ancient angels at the the roadhouse at 9.30. So they showed up and then, you know, you see they each have one third of the magic puzzle poem. And then they read it and it's some weird cryptic, not really interesting shit and then Wyndham Merle's sitting over there like fucking probably beaten off under his coat he's like yeah those are some fucking yeah he is I'm the some whole evil reason 
he's the prime example, the classic trucker stereotype. He's got the trucker hat on, the jacket. He just looks skeezy and dirty and creepy, and you're like, you're giving a whole group of people a bad name, buddy. Yeah. And this is where the episode comes to a shocking conclusion. A shocking conclusion! Cooper finds out that Josie is in uh, the Pussycats. Eckhart's suite. Oh, yeah, that. Uh, Cooper's in fishing gear, and he's, like, practicing his fucking throw in bed for a while, which was funny. Yeah, and he's got a tackle box open full of stuff. Obviously wearing some beautiful red plaid. Uh, Cooper hears a gunshot outside the room, rushes in, and then Eckhart's like stands up because Josie has closed her eyes and looks like she's sleeping or dead. Yeah. He stands up. Then you see his uh, bleeding from his chest and he falls over. And when he does, you see Josie is sitting upright with the gun pointed at Cooper, which was a cool little reveal thing. Yeah. I like that. That was a good surprise moment there. And then uh, Sheriff Truman pops in. Put it down! He has to put her in her place. He has to come in with that big dick energy and own the room. Because he's like, look, I don't want you to die. And then she starts to... Well, and then the light starts flickering. Yeah. After she freaks out. And, like, Harry starts holding her. And then the, Cooper sees uh, Bob come out. And Bob says, uh, Coop, what happened to Josie? But he says it, you know, creepy like him. Mm-hmm. How he says it. Cool boy. Yeah, Bob. What happened to Josie? Oh. Man from another place dances on the bed for a minute. Oh, disappears. And then you have uh, a sure. zoom in zoom in on the desk handle. Mm-hmm. The little nightstand, whatever that is. Yeah, the dresser. Or the, yeah, nightstand. nightstand dresser thing. And then uh, you see Josie's face in the circle. And uh, then her face kind of disappears, and it becomes like a wooden CGI face. That's like a really good CG for yeah. TV, man. It looks really good for the time, yeah. For yeah, it even still holds up pretty well for what it is. And mm-hmm. you see her face kind of moving around in there, and then she just becomes one with the door or the drawer knob. Oh, we become one. So that it's like end credits, freeze frame. Uh huh. But you still see like her body is there, but her spirit is gone. Essentially, right? You see that. Because Cooper, or not Cooper, but yeah, her body's Truman's there. still holding her and like upset about this while Dale is seeing her face over in the drawer. Or it's implied that he sees it. I'd have to read the books to know what exactly is supposed to have said been happened to her here. But I think, yeah, basically she's absorbed into the lodge to some degree, her, her soul. Yeah, it's taken over. So I have our soul. That's one of those... That's one of the best parts about this series, though, is the weird shit they do just unexpectedly. Like, you have no idea that that's what's going on. I have no idea. How how long have we not been appearing here? I think it just happened. I assume so. Well, you can still hear us, I hope. Our uh, North American Dingle horse uh, kicked the uh, Universal Serial Bus cable and caused some issues for us. Yeah. So, still, still causing issues. Hello. Yeah. You can just see our faces from outer spaces. It's loading. Is it not going to work now? Well, we'll just finish up this thing since we're almost done anyhow. Yeah, we are basically done. So, uh, you know, just because you can't see my face doesn't mean uh, I'm not doing dirty things. You don't know how beautiful it is. 
So that's this episode of the Frog Brothers Podcast. You Stick un- around, hang around town. You unplug the camera booger. And uh, be sure to check out our reaction to Spider-Man No Way Home. Skeet, skeet, bang, bang.